let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and, and talk about you and everything that you've done for us and, and looking at your word and um, uh, guide us and direct our, dis- our discussion and our talk today and uh, help us to know more about you when we're done. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Alan introduced me. I am a high school teacher. I teach um, government, economics, and history, all the really fun and exciting stuff that you all loved. Or, or maybe not, uh, either way. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I, I do this for a living, so to speak, but I'm excited to, to dig into giving a little bit. And I want to tell you about my background and where I grew up and what I learned. Um, I've pretty much grown up in the church uh, and I went to the non-denominational churches for most of my life. And I'll be honest, I struggled with giving, not because I didn't want to give, but it just seemed hard. And I didn't, I didn't like that. So this is something that I've looked at and, and heard hundreds of messages, but I think it's important to find out what's it look like now? Because I think that the church, at least in the charismatic movement, the non-denominational church movement that I grew up in, we had a lot of people who used giving almost as a stick to make sure that you were behaving yourself and you might get wrapped on the knuckles or on the head or something like that. And that just doesn't seem consistent to me with what we see in, in the word. So um, the church I went to for over 20 years, they taught on the tithe every single week. And right before giving, and it was at least hinted, and some people I knew who worked there told me that they were afraid if they stopped, people would quit giving. Now, I don't know if that's your experience or not. I'm not... I'm not here to denigrate that ministry. I'm not telling them who they are. I just, I didn't like that. And, and I tithed for years out of nothing more than fear because of what was taught. And I'm not saying that they necessarily meant it that way, but it sure is how the message came across. And friends of mine and I, you know, we all, we all kind of felt that. So uh, how many of you in here, you've heard messages on tithing before in your past? And, and what was the general view of the tithe? What, why were we commanded to tithe? What do you think? Taught out of fear too? Okay. Uh, anybody else? Because some people every now and again I run into and they didn't see it that way and I just want to hug them and tell them how awesome that is because that's not my, grow, not my experience. So um, basically the idea was to give until it hurts uh, and then... You know, the tithe is kind of like godly insurance is the way it almost came across. This is what you pay so that disaster does not befall you. And if you look at the Old Testament, you can totally understand it and see it that way. And we'll talk a little bit about the tithe and what we should do and how much we should give. But um, that at least was my perception, that if you don't pay the tithe, you know what? You might get in a car accident on the way home. Your house might burn down because you weren't tithing. And that doesn't seem consistent to me with the character of God. Um, something that really, I'm sorry? I said, I dreaded Malachi. Oh, literally, they would use Malachi 3.10 three weeks out of four. So, you know, most of us could quote Malachi 3 because we'd heard it so much, and, and it's important. But what really started me thinking about this was about 10 years ago, I was reading through a Joseph Prince book and starting to understand the Bible a little bit differently and understanding it through the lens of grace. And not long after that, I read Galatians 3. I don't know how many of you remember Galatians 3, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Paul says to the Galatians, 
Oh, you foolish Galatians. And if we put that in today's speak, imagine you're in church and the pastor set up, stands up and says, are you a bunch of idiots? I mean, you can imagine. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. And he said, how can you think that what you began in the spirit, you're going to finish in the flesh? And he's not necessarily speaking about giving here, but there's that moment we've all had where you're like, you read a scripture and it's like you'd never actually read it before. And all of a sudden, I heard in my heart, what if that applied to giving too? What if the tithe is all about your flesh and you should be giving or thinking about giving in a different way? And so this has been a multi-year journey that I'm thinking about. I do not have this all figured out, but I wanted to share what I have seen and I have observed. Um, I am not anti-tithe. So I am not saying don't tithe. I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe. I'm just saying that I don't think that it's a requirement for God to love us and to bless us and take care of us, which, thank you, which is not necessarily how it came across in most of my living. So let's go back and let's look at tithing and where it's come up. This is not an exhaustive search because there are 40 scriptures, 50 scriptures or more about this in the Old Testament, and I just wanted to kind of give you the highlights. One of the first places we see this is in Genesis 14. Abraham went out and defeated the four kings, or mayors, if you will, of these cities, and he came back, and we have Melchizedek. Now, there's all sorts of speculation about who Melchizedek is. I'm not going to get into that today, but essentially, he represented a priest. And so Abraham came back and gave a one-time tithe of all of the spoils. So all of the money he took, the animals he took, everything else from taking these guys out, he, he gave that to them. And so this is the beginning of what we see in the tithe in Genesis. No, it wasn't. That was from all the spoils. That was not from his personal wealth. This was everything he took in that day, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> we see it again in Genesis 28. If you remember, Jacob had that dream, and he wakes up, and he builds an altar, and he says, I will tithe. If God will protect me, I will go ahead and give a tenth part of everything that I receive. Um, it enters the law, formerly under Moses in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 27, it says a tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain, the soil, the fruit from the trees belongs to God, it is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. So the way I understand that is, is if you didn't, you'd have to add a fifth to it if you weren't on time, so to speak. So that gets a bit higher. Um, the tithe of every herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod. Uh, no one can pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. <clears throat> if they do make a substitution, the animal and the substitute cannot be redeemed, and they all go in there as well. So this is talking about you are giving literally of everything you have. Obviously, um, money was around, but money was scarce, so a lot of your wealth had to do with whatever it is you did for a living, whether it's growing crops or animals, herding, and that kind of thing. Uh, the tithe is mentioned a number of different times. There's a tithe for the Levites. So the Levites, as you remember, were the priests. This was the, the, the tribe that was the, from the priesthood. And so they had to have um, something to live on because they were running the church and nothing else. And so they taught the book that talks about that. And this goes on um, quite a few different times. Uh, we also see the tithe at different festivals uh, and things of that nature. And I took a look at two or three different sources, and they estimate on the low end, they probably gave 23, 24% of what they had. Some estimate it higher, 30 to 40%. So if we're gonna use the tithe as a complete scriptural basis, 
and we're going to use this from the Old Testament, it almost looks like we might have to expand that. Now, hear me, I'm not telling you to go give 23% to the church. The church will take it, but, you know, that's not, that's not the message. Now, um, we can, many of us could probably quote this next section um, from Malachi 3, so I did want to go over that for a minute. It's very important for this passage. It is important, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so many of you have heard, and as I mentioned, Malachi 3, I've heard many times, but uh, the implication is, is that we can rob God. And how have we done that in tithes and offerings? Uh, oh, by the way, the tithe was just the starting point. There's offerings on top of that. And that's essentially <clears throat> what I grew up listening to. Excuse me. was that <clears throat> the tithe is the insurance. This is the basic key in the door. This keeps you safe. If you want anything else from God, you've got to give on top of that and then hope that there's some kind of a return from, from beyond there. And so as I looked more uh, at this, you know, uh, many of you are familiar probably with Deuteronomy 28 where there's blessings and cursings and the first section is if you listen to God, you're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed when you come in and when you go out. But if you don't, then there's a whole list of curses in your life goes to pot. Uh, and so this is kind of all layered in, at least in, in my growing up. So if we turn this around, we start to look at what does the New Testament say? Not that the Old Testament is not important. I'm not saying that. But once Jesus comes, and, and Kyle, I don't know if you got to listen to Kyle's message last week. He touched on this. But once Jesus comes, the law is no longer valid. Right? That contract is no longer valid for us. And, and the law was given so that we understand we can't do this. So if the tithe is part of the law, then I would argue that it's not a requirement necessarily. It's a good thing to do, but it's not a requirement. So when we think about giving in the New Testament, what does that look like? Have you thought too much about what these scriptures look like, especially once Jesus came? Well, one of the first stories that comes to mind, one of the parables he shared in Matthew 6 um, was about giving in secret. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Uh, if you do, you'll have no reward from your father. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so that you may uh, give in secret. Then your father who sees in secret will reward you. So initially it sounds like this isn't something that, number one, you want to talk about, but it almost sounds like it's probably nobody else's business either. So this to me gets to the point, and we're starting to head down this path, that maybe this is something between you and God. Maybe this is something that God puts on our heart to give this. Give time, give money, give to this person, give to this ministry. And so now we're taking the law and we're just kind of setting the law aside because he could tell you to give more. And certainly God's prospered some people more than others and they can do more. And I don't think that's crazy or, or odd or, or a bad thing that people have that opportunity. In fact, some people would say we, should, we can give quite a bit. Uh, in Mark 12, we have the story of the widow's mite, if you remember this story. Um, he sat down opposite the treasury and watching people putting in money. And the rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came up to put in two copper coins, which amount to a mite. Calling his disciples to him, he said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all contributed from their surplus. But she in poverty put in all she had to live on. 
So God is, Jesus is commending her for her great sacrifice. But is there a command in there that that's how we should give? No. There's not. He's commending it and saying, hey, look, proportionally, this lady gave everything she had or quite a bit of what she had. So there's the, that's to be commended and lauded, but there's necessarily no command there that that's what we have to do. Now, God may, again, getting back to this idea of a relationship, put this on your heart to do, and that's, that's a different story. Um, we know that we're righteous, that we have right standing with God simply because of what Jesus did for us. And once we believe in him, we have that position. And I don't know if you think of it too often, but you're in complete right standing with the creator of the universe. That's kind of cool. That's kind of amazing. So as we look from this position, I think it's more than possible that we can get to a point where he's communicating with us on a regular basis. I know in my case, I have to sit down and be quiet long enough so somebody can get a word in edgewise. Um, but nevertheless, I think that this is kind of the direction and, and what he's showing us. So I do want to deal with a few other things. Um, in my past, this scripture was used quite a bit to say, see, tithing's in the New Testament, you have to do it. So if we go over to Hebrews 7, the story of Melchizedek and um, Abraham is there. So I mentioned it earlier in Genesis. Abraham's coming back. He gives a tenth part of it. Um, it was never really highlighted that that was kind of a one-time event, that that wasn't out of what he had. That was out of, um, not a bonus isn't the right word, but the extra money he had coming in that day. Uh, but if you go back and read this, and I'm not going to read all of Hebrews 7 because, well, it's assumed it's Paul, but we'll say it for now we'll say it's Paul, is really dealing with, how Jesus is our high priest and not really spending a lot of time on the tithe other than as the example that uh, Melchizedek represented a high priest and Jesus now fills that position for us forever. So I would argue that this is less about giving and more about the priestly ministry of Jesus. Uh, and then I've heard some people say, well, we probably should be socialists, right? Anybody hear this from Acts chapter two? I've heard, I've heard this argument. I don't buy it, but I wanted to cover it today. So think about this. So this is Acts. This is um, uh, Jesus has, has returned to heaven and the church is growing. Uh, so then accepted, um, those that accepted the message were baptized. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to instruction of the apostles and to fellowship and eating meals together and praying. And a sense of awe was felt by everyone. And many signs and miracles were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed in Jesus were together and, all, and had all things in common, considering all their possessions to belong to the entire group, and began selling their property and possessions and sharing the proceeds with other believers as anyone had need. And day and night they met in the temple, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various homes. So they're saying they all sold their stuff and kind of lived together and took care of everyone. So isn't that socialism? I would argue no. Socialism is this kind of government mandate thing. Also, if this is the way we were going to live, or this is what God wanted, do we think it might have been highlighted somewhere else? Or maybe brought up again? Or said, hey, you all, this is what we're supposed to be trying to do? That's not in there. So, um, one thing I heard a long time ago is you can learn a lot from the Bible just by reading it. But sometimes you can learn a lot from the Bible by what wasn't in there. Sometimes God purposely doesn't put that in there, and I'm not saying I understand why, but that's one thing to consider. So based on this idea, I would offer this. Again, I am not anti-tithe. 
If God's put it on your heart to give 10%, do whatever he's telling you to do. But who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Paul did. What was Paul's background? I'm sorry? He was a Jew, but what was his job? What did he do? He was a persecutor of the church, but he didn't do that all the time. That was, you know, right there. And then, obviously, he had quite the conversion story. Uh, most of us weren't blinded for three days. He was there. He held the coats. Yeah, absolutely. He made tents for a while afterwards. Um, he worked um, in the, the synagogue. Paul knew the law. He was very well educated. So if he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament... And the Holy Spirit's inspiring him. And someone who would know the law incredibly well, Paul doesn't once mention tithing. Never. So if the tithe is part of this, then why isn't this said some more? Okay, so based on that, let's go take a look at, well, what did he say? What does the New Testament say? So we gave you some of these stories. But let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 9. And there's a few verses here that I think highlight what we need to consider. Uh, there's no need for me to write to you about service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help and have been boasting about it to the Macedonians. He's talking about the Corinthians and how good a givers they are and how generous they are. Telling them there since last year, uh, you were in Acacia, uh, ready to give, and your enthusiasm was stirred most of them to action. The enthusiasm spurred them to action. So we were excited to give. We were happy to give. Okay, something to think about. Um, I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow and that you're ready for as many Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. We wouldn't say anything about it, nor should you be ashamed. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements of the generous gift you have promised. Remember that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever reaps generously will also reap generously. How much is generous? This would have been an amazing opportunity for Paul to say, now listen, generosity means X, but he didn't. So just, we want to keep that in mind. Um, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One translation that says, God is unwilling to do without a cheerful giver. Yeah. Unwilling to do without. So if I stand up, or somebody stands up and says, you have to do this, how cheerful are we? Right? We've all had to give a gift once in a while, and we weren't real thrilled with giving it. But how did you feel when you got time, and you had the money, and you could go find that perfect gift for that perfect person, and they open it up, and their eyes light up? How much fun is that? The Bible does tell us it is more blessed to give than receive. And we've all had those experiences. But again, Paul here said, no, 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 God loves a cheerful giver. Well, to me, to be cheerful, then that's something you need to decide that you don't feel is like going to cripple you financially if you do it. Nobody enjoys that. Um, God will bless you abundantly so that in all things, in all times, you having needs, you can abound to every good work. Every good work. So to me, could we interpret this to say that as God blesses you, you can bless others and he'll continue to do that. It's not necessarily a requirement that you give, but wouldn't, wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, imagine if you were a multi-billionaire 
and you had people who worked for you who were just good at finding places to give. Wouldn't you want to keep them in money so they could go help those people? Charities, helping people, whoever it is. So, so God has a reason to do this. And at the end of 2 Corinthians 9 here, he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply you and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I don't see anything in 2 Corinthians 9 that puts a specific amount on us. Other than do what God's told you to do. Okay, well, that's one place. Let's see if we can find something anywhere else. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16. He's talking about the collection for the saints and that they've given to the, to the churches in Galatia. And he says here, upon the first day of every week, let you lay, uh, I'm sorry, let me try that again. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him so there, can be no, there won't be any gatherings when we come. Well, this doesn't sound like, again, what couldn't Paul have said? 10%, man, that's where it's at. Set aside 10%. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to read it one more time. Uh, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by himself as stored, as God has prospered you, so there's no gatherings when I come. So set it aside, right? Whatever God's prospered you with, set some of that aside. And I think that's important. Uh, In Luke 6, 38, give and it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, shall men put into your lap. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it'll be measured to you again. Again here, there's no, there's no amounts. I realize I'm repeating myself, but for me, I have to keep repeating this and putting this in there because I have years of looking at a different perspective that I'm trying to shake loose. Uh, in Hebrews 13, um, probably Paul is the author here. He's saying, uh, let us at all times offer to God a sacrifice of praise which the fruit of our lips thankfully acknowledge and confess the glory of his name. Do not neglect to do good, contribute to the needy and the church as an expression of fellowship, for such sacrifices are always pleasing to God. Okay, so we do have instructions. We should be giving, right? And it's not terribly shocking that we as Christians should, should donate and to be helpful to other people. Um, now, the other thing that comes up from time to time is, do we have to just give our money? Now, um, again, I think this is between you and God, but if we look at uh, Acts 3, Peter and Paul um, are walking, I think it was Peter and Paul walking through um, the city and uh, there was a beggar. And they said, silver and gold, uh, I don't have any of that for you, but what I do have, um, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy did. Well, clearly that's more valuable than any amount of money, right? The guy's able to, to do things for himself. But also, I think you can possibly take the implication here that sometimes money isn't what God wants you to give. Now, I'm not saying we're all called to heal everyone, and I'm not going to head down that road, but I think there's something we can learn there. Uh, Romans 12, Paul tells us, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So clearly there's another aspect of this that we should be serving each other with time and hospitality and other things that don't necessarily require money. Again, there's no, there's no threshold. There's no amount that God says, oh, you've got to do this or else. Um, so what should we be doing with our money? Well, you can go look through the Old Testament and the New Testament to see a lot of this. Um, 
But the big thing is, and he talks to Timothy about this, Paul talked to Timothy about this, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And we've probably all experienced that. We've probably all seen people who you can tell their goal was money. And I don't know about you, I've never seen that work out well for anybody. If money was their sole goal and all they wanted to do was be wealthy, they end up destroying their family, themselves. It's not a happy situation. But when God prospers us, we have health and wealth, and we have the ability to do other things. So as I wrap this up, I didn't want to go for a super long time this morning. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe, and I'm not saying you shouldn't give. But what I'm saying is there's nothing that I see in the New Testament, once the law has been put to rest, that tells us there's an amount you have to give in order to be blessed. And once we get this understanding, once we wrap our heads around this and our hearts around this, I think it frees us up. I know for me personally, once I said, okay, just, I'm just going to give whatever God's telling me to do, it's like there was a burden lifted off. Because under the tithe, I literally felt like I had a pack, a 7,500 pound pack on my shoulder every single day. Because I've got to figure out how I can tithe and pay all my bills. And I'm not saying there weren't times when you could give more or when you could give less. But I think we can't use this as a club to get people to give. Because I believe if once we see this and we start giving what God tells us to do, how much happier are you? I don't know about you all, and and we don't do it here because we don't pass the plate or the bucket or the basket or wherever you came from. How many of you cringed? Anybody? Me? I mean, there were times like, oh, not again. Not that I wasn't willing to give, but I wasn't a cheerful giver. And so my encouragement to you is to let God talk to you. Let God show you what you should be doing with your time and your money. Um, As I wrap it up, I just want to share a couple more of these um, ideas with you. Um, You know, in in Matthew 6, it says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then things will be added to you. Um, James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there's no variation or shadow uh, to change. And then Paul talks about that he's going to supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory, not your riches and glory. So um, I heard it put this one time, uh, God's not depending on any single one of us to save the church or to give to the church. And that's a good thing, right? But that doesn't mean God won't use every single one of us to help the local church. Yeah. Well, I I remember right around the time I just started to hear the grace message, I was sitting down with a friend of mine and I said, I can't do more. I just don't have the capacity financially, mentally, uh, physically, I just can't do more. And then I started to see the grace message. It's like, hey, it's not about what you do. And I'm like, oh, my. I mean, it was like literally I'd never read the Bible before, and that wasn't the case. But all of a sudden, you start looking at this, and you can't unsee it. Um, and, and so it just started to change all these areas. And once I set the tithe aside and started looking at it that way, it literally was like somebody took a pack off my back. And was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm excited to give. I'm excited to do whatever it is God's put on my heart to do. And that it just changes my experience. And so now, if I'm more relaxed, I feel like I want to be in this situation where I can give to every good work. Because right? we've all probably been in a situation where you want to give, but you don't have it or you can't do it for one reason or another. But wouldn't it be great to be in that position? Anything that comes by, you're, yeah, I can give that, or I can give some time to this, or whatever it is. And I think that's 
that's where we're at. And then to me, how attractive is that to the rest of the world? If this is how the church is operating, people can come in and if they don't give, we're not there, you know. I mean, I've seen it in some churches where, you know, they pass the bucket and they kind of hold it in front of you and they wait a minute. And I'm like, oh, come on. That's, not, that's what I think is compulsion, I believe. Uh, you know, and that's clearly not what God's asking of us here. So uh, I think then the church, how attractive is that? Yeah, come on in. We'd love to have you. Come hang out with us. We're not going to stick the bucket in your nose. Okay, let me, let me pray and we'll, we'll finish up for the day. Lord, we thank you for um, letting us come together and, and talk about your word and talk about what you're showing us. And we thank you that you are a generous God and you're working in our hearts so that we can be generous and be, uh, live in your example in all that we do. And we thank you for this. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.